everybody's not going to get it. Everybody's not going to understand it. And it's not meant for them to understand it, but it's meant for you to be that vessel, you know, to either do it or to to say it. The universe puts us in, in positions to like to say something, to disrupt or to do something, you know, but it's like you have to listen to it and trust it. This is Studio Confessions, the art and wellness podcast. I'm your host, Luis Martin, the art engineer. Let me take you with me. Listen in for conversations with artists and culture makers alike. As we talk about their creative practice and what moves them, let me share my wax poetic monologues and how to activate your creativity to live an inspired and more beautiful life. That's right. I said beautiful. Welcome to the studio. I'm glad you're here. Hey, man. How's it going? I'm good. I'm so excited to finally have you six feet away to chat. Yeah. <laughs> How are I'm you? I'm excited to be here. I'm such a fan of yours. Oh, man. That warms my heart. I appreciate that. I love your work. Um, and come to find out, we have quite a few people in common. Quite a few. Which is the most exciting thing. Small world. I love it. So tell me, what do you do? Um, I do a lot of things. I am a, some people know me as a, a freelance graphic designer. Some people know me as a visual artist. Some people know me as a brand coach, like a life coach. And some people oh, know me as a curator. Nice. Yeah. Well, curator just got added to the list. Lovely. Brand new. <laughs> nice. And which one of these um, hats did you start with? Hmm. I guess I would say I started with the hat I started with was um, artists, visual artists. Um, I've always been an artist since a, a kid. You know, I was always um, one of those kids that was like, you know, who's the best, you know, illustrator in the class? You know, and it was always me and um, two other friends. So people would always put us together. So that pretty much kind of happened all the way up until like high school. And then um, by the time I got to college, I wanted to be a psychiatrist because I just thought like, oh, you know, that's the proper thing to do. You know, you can't make a, a life on being an artist. And um, as I'm registering for my major, uh, my dad is so proud. And he's like, oh, my son's <laughs> going to be a doctor. He's going to be a psychiatrist. And he's like, I'm going to go to the restroom. And I hear a voice that says, no, you want to be <laughs> an art, a graphic designer. Because there was this movie that came out called Boomerang with Eddie Murphy. Sure. His name was Marcus. And I was like, oh, man, I want that, you know. And so I told my mom, I was like, mom, I was like, I don't want to do this. And she was like, what? And she, I was like, I don't want to do this. And she said, what do you want to do? I said, well, my teacher told me to pick a major, something that I enjoy doing. And I said, I love art. And she's like, all right, your dad's going to be mad. So we jump over to the art major line, and I register to be an artist. My dad comes back from the restroom. He's so proud because he's thinking I'm going to be, you know, a psychiatrist. And I end up telling him that I switched to art, and he flips out. And the only thing he can think of is bewitched. Um, he's <laughs> like, what do you want to be, like Darren Stevens? And I was like, yeah, I was like, I want to be in advertising. And um, I ended up taking the route to advertising, and I was pretty good at it, like really good at it. Um, so I ended up working for an ad agency, and I was in like Ad Week magazine, like People on the Move, and I ended up leaving there in Houston. Moving back home to Dallas, I ended up working for Fossil Watches, where I used to design watches. And I worked for Fossil for three strong years, and I got fired. Um, I just got straight up fired, and I ended up starting my design firm the next day. I had a design firm in downtown Dallas, in Deep Ellum, Dallas, which is like downtown. And um, I ended up starting a magazine called In-House Magazine, and I did that for maybe like another three to four years, and I moved to New York. 
and uh, I moved to Manhattan first. And I think I was so afraid of being here that I chose to play small. Mm. And so I ended up, you know, taking jobs that I really didn't want. Um, I kind of just like let my light like dim. And then um, maybe a few years ago, I took like a transformational workshop. And I realized that, you know, I just wasn't doing myself or the world any justice by playing small. And so I started, um, I quit my job. And so I became a freelancer again. And I um, started traveling the world, going to different countries. And then I started painting again. Oh, I know what it was. My best friend passed away. My best friend from college, he was an artist too. He passed away. And he, um, he was, I think he was getting ready to go to Africa. He was getting his, his passport to get ready to go to Africa. And he passed away, and because he couldn't travel, I started painting to like grieve him. And there was a, a gallery owner that I met in Harlem. She challenged me to paint something to hang into her gallery. She's like, "Oh, what? That would be a great way to honor your friend." And um, I painted two paintings, and after that, like things just kind of just took off, you know. What a journey! That it's, is amazing. I'm really curious to tell. To hear a little bit more about that voice that you heard. Whose voice mm. was that? Was that your voice? Was that the teacher's voice? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I feel like it was like, you know, God's God's voice or the universe's voice. It wasn't. It wasn't mine, but it was a voice. It's first of all. Let me just say, having this conversation with you and looking out at this 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 view that I'm looking at of New York. I've never experienced New York from this view before. And I feel like you're about to go Barbara Walters on me and get all of these answers out of me. Um, well, you know what's really funny? The reason I wanted to go back to this question. And so, um, listeners, you can't see us, but we're next to the window and we're seeing the view. And as DeMarcus was talking about this voice that you heard, literally the clouds parted and there was light on you. And I'm like, oh, oh wow. let me take note. Oh, <laughs> so wow. this is why I wanted to go back to this question. Okay. You know, it wasn't it wasn't my voice. There, it was it was a voice that I heard, but it was also it was a voice that I trusted. Mm. And um, it's to say, like uh, I've heard this I've heard this voice before. Like as I was a kid, I've heard it before, um, and I still hear it like now. Yeah. You know, um, but it's a voice that I trust. When I hear it, I know it. And it was it was oh man, it was so like clear as day, and it was so loud. And um, that was a, like, as a child, that was a big risk, like, going against my parents. Like, sure. I, was that, I was that kid that, like, you know, I didn't, didn't really get into any trouble. Like, I had friends who were, like, you know, in the streets, but I was always, like, the good kid, the church kid, and scared that my mom or my dad was going to find out if I did anything wrong. You know, so I walked a straight line, mm -hmm. you know. And the fact of me jumping out of line, you know, the story that I created was I was being like defiant, you know, or my parents are going to be upset. You know, this was kind of like the first time I had kind of took a stand on my life sure. and what I wanted, you know, and it wasn't like the life that was mapped out for me, for my parents. You know? I think it's really interesting because you also said that you and your other artist friends were kind of separated, right? And I'm wondering, that happens to a lot of artists or that happens to a lot of kids who, who are a little different. And because they're kind of separated they have a lot of alone time and you get to 
be very well acquainted with the voice, with your voice, mm. with all these other things that a lot of people don't listen or can't hear with the crowd around them, right? So I'm wondering if, um, have, were you always the artist? You said you were always the good kid, so you were probably always the special one, right? Mm -hmm. Do you do you find that that helped you in that you were able to kind of refine your own voice in some way or the other? No, when, when I was younger, no, that was kind of hard. Because um, I think I looked at it as if, again, you know, we all, you know, there's what I've learned, and even with the whole psychology thing, I've learned like, there's like the real world, like what's really going on, then there's the stories that we tell ourselves, you know? And at that age, I think the story that I was telling myself was like I was the black sheep. Mm. You know, I, I come from Dallas, Texas, and you know, it's football country. You know, everything is like, how about those cowboys? You know, and I'm sitting there like, oh my God, if someone asked me one more question <laughs> about the cowboys, you know, I just wasn't like a football guy. You know, people thought I played football, but I just wasn't a football guy. And so I always felt misplaced. Interesting. You know, um, I always felt like even, I think like just even the friends that I had, like I had friends like, yeah, we just all came from like different backgrounds. And I just always, like there's this uh, movie, I don't know if you've seen like New Jack City. Of course. Like that was my friends and I was Christopher Williams, you know? <laughs> and so I don't even think I wore like sneakers until like my senior year in high school. I was always that kid that dressed up, you know? Um, you know, because my dad taught me like you look, you know, you look good, you attract good, you know. Absolutely. Um, but I think I had a lot of time with myself. I think maybe like I played with myself. Or well, not play with myself. I think I like you know play with my toys. I play with my toys. Let me clear that. <laughs> it's up. okay. Play with I play with my no toys. Um, and then like I also remember like I was really into comic books, and I remember even at that age I used to create my own comic books and. And take paper and staple it together and create stories and stuff like that. Um, I guess I just had like a lot of alone time. Yeah. And I had a lot of friends, but I felt alone. Yeah, you know? I, I can totally relate to that feeling. When did it change? Was it as an adult when you were here in New York or did it change before then? Mm, it might have changed a little bit in college. Like I pledged a fraternity. Um, you know, I did play soccer when I was younger. Okay. I was part of like I was a part of a team, but I think when I pledged in fraternity I was, I think maybe they gave me a sense of community. You know, they were, like, we were in this fraternity kind of, like, for similar purposes or reasons. It was different, but kind of like a similar goal. And then I think I started to really open up my heart and I started to be a little bit more trusting to people um, and to create, like, community for myself and to be in, like, different circles. And I think, but I think we're, like, because there was a part in, in when I was in Texas that I ran from when I had my magazine, like I knew so many people, but it, it frightened me. I think I got like anxiety. But when I came to New York, I closed off again. But then there was a moment where like something just kind of clicked. And um, I think I started living life differently, um, maybe more like in service or in contribution to the world. Sure. So when I started looking at my art and my graphics as like being a, a contributor to the world, like things shifted for me, my my mindset shifted, and just like even the people that were around me shifted. The, the places I used to go, the things I used to do, like I just didn't have a desire to do those things anymore. You know, it's amazing. Tell me a little bit about the work you're working on right now. Oh man, 
I, I, oh, I just finished a series, which I, I just finished a series, it's a Harlem series. I was a resident um, with an organization called Arcro Harlem. And so they had an artist in resident program on Governor's Island. And so um, the, the theme was Boundaries and Connections, the other side of us, celebrating 100 years of Harlem. So I initially started out creating um, a research like the Harlem Renaissance and um, uh, people migrating to Harlem from the South or different places like in the 1920s and realizing like there was a pandemic going on at that time, you know, but Harlem ended up becoming this like central space for like African-Americans to move to a place that was supposed to be like booming with, you know, jobs and, you know, culture and arts. And then when people got here, it wasn't that, you know, um, but I, I'm as a life coach, I always tell people like create your life, you know, Absolutely. and what I realized in my research was like, why wow, these are people who created their life. Like similar to me, like these are people who left their comfort zone, they left where they were born and raised for a new opportunity and they came to New York and they came to Harlem. So I ended up creating like originally like four images of, of, of mashing, you know, old Harlem with the new Harlem. So in the background, there's like these old images of old vintage images of people of Harlem and the streets and the stores. But then I paint um, on portraits like figures, you know, so I. Um, I, I vetted out like people of Harlem and I asked them, so with the life coaching again, you know, I vetted out people from Harlem and um, asked them a whole bunch of questions about Harlem. Like, why did they choose to move there? What do they like? What do they don't like? You know, explain Harlem to me on a good sunny day, on a winter day. And then I art directed a photo shoot. And so I asked them to come dressed in something that they either wanted to be remembered in or, or something in their highest possibility. And so I directed a photo shoot with my photographer, and I ended up painting their, um, their, their, their portrait on top of the old Harlem Renaissance uh, images. Excuse me. And then as I was doing that, I ended up creating um, like five more. So I have like a total of nine pieces of nine people. Um, so I just finished, completed that series. That's, that's amazing. I love that idea of taking the, the old and the new. Uh, mm -hmm. Because I think we have a way, as people, we have a way of romanticizing and creating nostalgia mm -hmm. that then is kind of limiting, mm -hmm. you know, and you don't realize that, oh, no, this is active, like, we're, we're, this is growing, this is thriving, and how can we make it thrive even more and preserve it, and, you know, that's great. What was your, what was one of your, what was one of the things that surprised you in that project? Mm. I would say how detailed I got, you know, um, I was always taught like the love is in the details. Mm -hmm. And so I got very detailed with this. And normally in the past, I would have like created a piece and I'm like, oh, it's done. But this time I took the time to actually like study and listen to the voices because I recorded all the interviews, listen to what they were saying, you know, um, and then try to like evoke like the emotions from what they were saying, like with the colors. You know, what, what colors did I see and did I feel as they were speaking? And I wanted to put that on canvas, you know. They're like mixed media pieces. Like there's acrylic, there's photography, you know. Um, I, I, I think I, I went deep. And I, I had an art advisor that told me, um, you know, look at your work like a, like an album. Or, you know, and, what, and, and each painting is a song, you know. And up until now, I feel like I've only been doing like one hit wonders, you know, I think, oh, wow, I've never produced an entire album before. 
So I think I'm surprised that I've actually created an entire series. You know, like basically a ready to go exhibition. You know, not a group exhibition, you know, not a solo exhibition of this piece and that piece and that piece, but an entire body of work that is, I could you know, shop it to a gathering and say like, look, I have work ready to go right now. What great advice. Yeah. Well, that was a great advice that you yeah had. that was like an eye opener for me yeah you know uh, just just to go with this analogy even further what kind of music would this exhibit be would uh, this album be that's a good question i never thought you know it would be oh man that's a really good question this exhibition the music would be it would have a, a lot of jazz it would have a lot of like soul and r&b there's mixed in with some gospel and then there's some there's some rap music in there you know like old school rap right. you know um like 90s, you know, type rap. Um, but it's very Harlem. Yeah. It's, it's, and you know, and I'm, I'm from Brooklyn, you know, so I'm kind of telling those stories as, as an outsider, mm. you know. Um, and yeah, a, you know what's really interesting? I, I'm, I'm from LA. Mm -hmm. um, I came here when I was 19. I've lived here ever since. I've traveled some. Um, and, you know, this moment, everyone's kind of st sitting still. I've been home for a while. But yesterday I had to go run an errand and I was walking around New York and I walked and I walked and I walked and I thought, wow, I love New York, but I kind of need to leave. I feel like I should move and, you know, experience something a little different. And then, you know, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I feel like I've had New York even before I got to New York. Mm -hmm. And taking that feeling, I know that I'll have New York with me wherever I go, right? What do you see when you think of home? Do you see Harlem? Do you see Brooklyn? Do you see Texas? What, what does that look like? I see Brooklyn. I also see, I don't, you know what? I see a lot of, I see a lot of places. Oh man, I can't go there. Um, I see a lot of places. <laughs> go there, don't worry. I, you have your coffee, I have my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> like I feel like, you know, home is where the heart is, you know, but um, Texas is home. But Texas is my, it's like, it's my roots. You know, it's like a tree with you know a bunch of different branches. Texas is the base, and then all the different branches are the the other different places that I love. You know, um, I feel like I'm blessed to have. I think being that oh my god, I think being that kid in Texas who was like lonely or felt created the story that he was always alone, that he didn't have any friends, to now that I have just like networks of people, and like my heart is in like all these different places. So like. Like, man, New York is definitely on the top of their list, but it, it's Brooklyn, you know. Um, it's like, there, there's times, have you ever had those moments where you're like, man, I live in New York? Yes, all the time. And it just, like, sometimes it randomly catches me like, oh, man, like, let me see, like, the Empire State Building from, like, on the other side of another borough, and I'm like, oh, my God, I live in New York, you know. Or maybe late at night, and then be like, on a summer night, and it's like, it's a cool summer night, and I'm like, oh man, I live in New York. And I had it the other day. Um, I mean, I feel like Texas, I'm gonna get killed. I feel like <laughs> Texas, I feel like New York, I feel like Dominican Republic, I feel like Barcelona. Like, those are places where I feel like I have a imprint. Totally. And so they all feel like home to me. And that's so you know? important, I think, honestly. You know, like I said, I moved to New York a long time ago, and I love New York, and I have these moments too all the time. But I really go out of my way to kind of be 
romanticize and decentralize uh, the idea that you have mm -hmm. to be here to be an artist mm -hmm. because with all the great comes a lot of strife, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's very hard to have a, a, a quality of life that you could possibly get a little bit better for a lot less strife in mm -hmm. the Dominican Republic, in Mexico, in Orlando. I don't mm -hmm. know. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, absolutely, and, and I think you're right. This is a movable feast, right? I think this is this is something that I always think about. Like, you know, our studios can travel with us everywhere we go. And Harlem is always there, Brooklyn's always there. You know, all these places travel with us, and that's really exciting. You mentioned um, about the stories and narratives that you created, right, as being a kid. What new narratives are you creating right now for the future? Oh, good one. Um, as an artist, I'm creating that I have a seat at the table. Like there are times where I've, I've always wanted to be in a, like I've always kind of felt like um, I was outside of a window looking inside, you know, at like certain artists who I just loved. And I thought like, oh my God, like they're there and I want to be where they are. Um, and it took me some time to realize that, you know, you, I've always heard like, oh, you know, seat at the table, seat at the table. But then I started to realize, well, there's different parties going on. You know, there's not just one party. You know, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. That, that was me. And that's, listen, I, I always take these as, as science. So you're talking about. Say, I was trying to let everybody think it was me. <laughs> I appreciate that. No, that, that was a calling for you. See you at the table, ready. <laughs> Your table's ready. My table's ready. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. No, I just, I think what I had to realize, there's different parties going on. Yes, and I may not have a seat at that particular table where I want to be at, but I have a seat at other parties. You know, I may even have my own table and I'm inviting people to come sit with me. I love that. I love that so much. And that moves me so much because, yes, you're absolutely right. And people don't realize that. Mm -hmm. We use, um, to use another analogy, we use different, someone else's ruler to measure our success, right? Yeah. But here you are saying, no, there's so many tables, just like there's so many white walls to put your art in. No need to fight over this one white wall. Um, that's amazing. This podcast is sponsored by me and collagedream.com. Get your collage kits and start making space for your personal narratives through collage. Want to dive in deeper? Take a collage therapy session. Nope, I'm not a doctor, nor am I an engineer, but I am an artist. Let me help you get through your blocks, creative inquiries, and guide your curiosity. Go to collagedream.com. The studio is open. I think it's, I think when I learned like the distinction of abundance and abundant mentality versus a scarcity mentality. When I lived in Texas, I had a total scarcity mentality. And I think, because I, I also believe like, you know, the people that were around me, they had a scarcity mentality. That was, I grew up on a scarcity sure. mentality, you know, and it wasn't until I realized, yo, there's enough to go around. Like, there's more than one gallery in Brooklyn and in Harlem, you know, like, and then there was this, there was this one moment where I thought that I could only be a artist in like Brooklyn. Like mm -hmm. I couldn't venture out to Harlem. I couldn't venture out to Barcelona. I couldn't venture out like, like I'm from Texas, but is Texas going to accept me because I don't live there anymore, you know? And then I realized like, oh, I was having all these different limiting beliefs. And it was like, oh, I get that. And like, I, I, I preach it to my participants, my, my clients of create your life. And it was like, I can have whatever life I want to create. You know, it can look whichever way that I want to look. It doesn't have to be to someone else's rules. You know, it's my rules. Absolutely. You know? And it's so funny because, yeah, you realize how much people 
aren't studying you. People just don't care, so do whatever you yeah, want. Yeah, they don't, you know? <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, where, um, I want to go to the fun place, but I also want to go to the dark place. Okay, <laughs> well, we, I, go, we can go wherever. I, I just want to know how, I always ask in my, in my interviews, you know, what's keeping you motivated? What's keeping you up uh, during these hard times of, you know, civil unrest and, and the pandemic and uh, living in the bubble? But, yeah, how how are you? Uh, how are you keeping up? How are you being good? Hmm. I, you know, honestly, it's like just keeping my head down and mm. working. Yeah, you know, again, again, like, uh, man, when this first started, I was like, boom! I was like in it, like I was in this flow in the zone. You know, I was taking a risk, and I was painting large-scale paintings that I've never painted before. Then the pandemic hit, and I had I lost my studio because the company went out of business, and we all, all the artists had to move out. But then um, something shifted. I got offered a, a solo exhibition at home in Texas, so I went home for three months, which I've never been home that long. Like wow. since I moved, like 15 years ago, I've never been around my family for three months. Tell me about that. How did it feel to be back home as an adult, as a going there for business? It. It was it was it was a it was a whirlwind of emotions, like my sister, uh, she bought a house and she had a sunroom, and she literally turned her sunroom into a studio for me. Wow! So man, like even when I think about it, like I always kind of want to cry because like I didn't kind of have that support as an artist when I was younger, you know. So to have that, didn't have my niece with me and the dogs are running around, you know. First it was kind of like. Everybody, like, turn the view off, turn the reel off, you know, like, why is the phone ringing? Why you got three TVs on? It's too loud, you know? But my sister created this space for me to create. And then it was kind of like the dogs would, you know, just come and sit and just, like, watch with me. Or my niece would come in and, Uncle, can I paint with you? And I'm like, yeah, she's over here. I'm over there. Um, It was nice. It was was a, a good homecoming. It was like, for a lot of my friends from, like, college and high school, they were able to see what it what I do, you know, um, that was nice. And then to be offered, wow, I just thought about it. I got offered, a, I got selected to be in a residency in France and I had to postpone it because of everything. But then I got offered another residency. I was so bummed out about that. I got offered another residency on Governor's Island. So I had to come back because um, I was limited. I had to come back, you know, to go into that house and to create a whole new other body of work. And I think I since then is, I, you know, to go through all this, I think it's just like, again, being a contributor to the world, you know, and which sometimes it keeps me up at night, you know, when I have that, I don't think I sleep as good as I used to anymore because mm. I have so many ideas and so many paintings that I want to get out. So I think that kind of keeps me up, but like, I guess to keep me sane, I just go to my studio and I come home. Go to my studio and come home. And I may like t- see some friends like here and there, but for the most part, it's just home studio, home studio. And it just, for now, I guess the isolation, you know, it's been pretty good for me, I guess. It's amazing. You know, I, I feel the exact same way. I have the toughest time sleeping because I'm always really excited about something. But mm-hmm. It could be breakfast. I could be really excited about yeah. breakfast for the next day or I just, I yeah, there's so much percolating, right? And I think that's, a positive that's come out of this limited time of staying home, of not being able to see people, because you have to be really methodical about who you want to see, mm-hmm. how you're going to spend your time getting to where you're going to go. Is it safe? Is it blah? Is it this? Um, 
And I think it goes back to that comment we talked earlier about being separated, right? When you're separated, you have that time to put your head down, mm -hmm. to listen to that voice mm -hmm. and see what goes, what happens next, right? Now, talk to me a little bit about your practice in the studio. What a lot of uh, people who listen to the podcast are artists and some of them are new, some of them are older, um, as far as their practice journey. What are some of your best practice tips to having a good studio practice? I really don't even have one, to be honest with you. Huh. Uh, that's a good question. And I've heard other artists, how they have like traditions, like they do stuff to get them started. I really don't have one. I think with me, it's Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> we were having that conversation. Yeah, yeah. it's a sugar-free Red Bull, you know. Sugar-free, Michelle. Sugar-free. Sugar -free. <laughs> but I will, I will say that... Um, P.S. They have a, a residency you should apply as your... I know. I, I, it's, it's, on my, it's on my vision board. We'll, 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 uh, we'll send this to them. Okay. Ching, ching. Exactly. Um, you know, honestly, I think it's like uh, I go in with the intentions of this is what I'm going to do today or something. But or it may, you know what? Okay, so I do have like I do have a a process of when I paint something, I want to I want to be able to experience it from like different perspectives. And my best friend, the one that passed away, I think I picked this up from him. Um, he had this thing about like, um, it's, going, it's crazy. He had this thing about like, what would his paintings look like if he was like making love, you know? <laughs> and so he would surround his paintings like in his bedroom, like all around his bed, you know? He would like, you know, have them speak to him. So I think in my studio, I kind of have like something similar, like, um, I will like maybe paint something, I have it on the easel or I hang it up on the wall and I may like dim the lights and I may turn on like a freaky, you know, sex song. Or I may put on like a very inspirational type of song. Uh, but I try to look at it from different angles. I try to, and I sometimes uh, turn the lights off and, and turn, maybe I may turn on like prints or something like that. Because one thing, like when I paint, um, my figures, people always say, oh my God, the eyes. Like sometimes I'm, like my biases have said like, oh my God, at nighttime when I'm like going into the kitchen and getting something out of the refrigerator, I look at the painting and I feel like the painting is staring at me. And I'm like, or people say, oh man, the painting scares me or the eyes look so real. And I've always heard that. So it's like I always, so that is maybe a process that I do if I paint something. I want to know, like, I want to, I want it to speak to me. So, um. Yeah, I'll just like look at it from like different angles. I want to see what it looks like with all the other pieces, and I kind of want to see what it looks like on an easel. That's fantastic, and I think um, hearing you talk, there is no doubt in your voice. And I think sometimes people, when they think about um, studio practices and how to do it, they think, oh, well, I have to have a, a one, two, three, right? I can't just mm -hmm. show up. No, you can't just show up. Mm -hmm. You can't trust yourself that you're going to make it to the studio. And that's what I love about hearing your voice. There's absolutely no doubt in your voice that, no, I'm going to show up to my studio and just work mm -hmm. and create, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I love that. That's, that's fantastic. Can you tell me, let's go back to your childhood real okay. quick. Okay. Uh, what was your first experience, your art experience, that kind of just went, oh, I'm an artist? What, was it Boomerang? Was it? What, what no, was it? it was my mom. My mom was a teacher. She was a uh, she was an education major and she was like substitute teaching 
at the time. And I remember um, I used to have a bunch of coloring books. And I, I used to just color, like, whatever kind of color, purple and black. and You know, just, but I would color outside the lines. And I remember I was so pissed that, like, it was ugly, you know. And I used to look at my mom, and I was like, your stuff looks so good. And my stuff don't. And she was like, calm down, calm down. She's like, let me show you how to do it, you know. And I was like, no, I'll never be able to color like you. And what she used to do was she used to trace the image. And then she would, like, lightly fill it in. And then she was like, you know, do it with me. You know, and I would do it with her. And I would lightly fill it in. And I was like, oh. And then, like, instead of just coloring, like, the figure, then I started like coloring like I guess outside the figure, like the background would be blank. And so I would start putting like Mickey Mouse in this like jungle or something, you know. And then I remember there was always these magazines and in the back of the magazines they were like, you could be an artist if you could draw this person and mail it in. And I was like, I can do that. And I remember my cousins and I, we would like do it. And mine's always, I had another cousin, he was, he was a pretty good illustrator too. And um, I remember it was always kind of like mine was like that one, and I would I would mail it off, but I would never get, you know, anything to come back to me. And then I think uh, that's so that was the first time that I really kind of knew maybe I had a gift of that, but I didn't think it was like the gift, because back then I wanted to be an actor, like bad. I wanted to be like on TV and, and movies and you know in commercials. I wanted that like bad, and um, I just never thought that like um, you know art was gonna do that for me you know it's interesting um you still want to be an actor or do you still want to be on tv um the funny thing is i i've been on tv yeah. <laughs> i've been with i feel like my art is taking me yeah. there you know um yeah i love that but in a different way yeah i uh, kind of it's interesting um you get what you need in mm-hmm. the way that you need it right so mm-hmm. it, i love that it kind of yeah it just goes i think it um someone taught me like uh I think it's like having it turn out versus how you think it's supposed to turn out, right? You know, or it's like basically it's going to work out. It's going to it's going to come anyway. It just doesn't look the way that we we think that it's supposed to look. And when I was younger, I was always so hung up on how it looked. It was like I can still get the same result, but I can, I can still get there. But I just I just took a different route to get there. Absolutely. You know? Now, in thinking about um, legacy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we think about legacy in many different ways, uh, usually the one that we're going to leave. But whose legacy do you think you're continuing? Mm, good one. Whose legacy am I continuing? And it, it could just be other artists that you met, might not know but are connected to so heavily, right? I think there's 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 a definitely, oh man, um, definitely my best friend, Tafik Muhammad, um, because he was the one that man he was just he was just a damn good artist you know and um when he transferred to another college um his hit hit the professor that he had like Tafik had way more experience than his professor and his professor told him to um you're painting all these like uh, movie stars and you know rappers and stuff like you should paint what you know you know you should paint what you see and I remember how tough people were so upset. Like, I could paint circles around my professor, blah, blah, blah. But I remember when his work started to change. He started to go to, like, jazz festivals because he went. He, he moved from Texas to Louisiana, to New Orleans. And so he started going to jazz festivals, so he started painting all these jazz figures, you know. So his work became, like, very jazz and very musical. 
so he was painting his life so I think with me because I've traveled so much I used to paint a lot of pop art you know uh, comic book characters and you know but because I travel so much around the world now I'm starting to paint my experiences I'm starting to paint like the people that I know you know um, I, I wasn't like I wasn't ashamed of painting like black people but I always thought like oh people would never buy that like why would they buy a picture of someone that they don't know you know and it's not necessarily the the portrait of the person it's the figure it's what they represent that the people are buying or collecting and so there's another artist that I love my number one artist was Barkley Hendrix and I love the way he painted black people he painted these very large-scale paintings and he painted them like in the 70s and they still and he's passed away and to this day like for me he's one of the greats and uh, the way he painted like black skin the way he painted like people with shades on and you can see the reflection of you know mm. the, the the image behind you know him um i love that you know i love to tell the stories of people that i meet so it's like the people that i'm painting they're like characters in my life i'm basically opening up my life to my viewers and you're seeing like oh demarcus knows this person he knows that person um, but I think moving forward now, I want to tell like my story. Now I don't think I've, I've always told someone else's story, even through graphics, like designing people's logos, I'm telling their stories, but I've never told my story, you know? So and what part of that story excites you the most right now? Um, there's different phases, you know, um, there's one part that's, there's an adult part that's very vulnerable and very, uh, insecure but I was happy, but um, I'm very nervous to open up that part of my life. There's another part where I'm younger and I'm just like happy, like just like just happy. And it's like, it's a relationship with like my family and you know, my with my dad, like father and son. And you know, uh, then there's like the relationship with like my mom and then my sister. Um, then us as a family, you know, like I'm, it's, I think a, a lot of people have had like a misconception of kind of like where I come from or how I was raised. So it's like, I'm kind of opening up, like showing everybody like how I was raised. So how exciting to have that power to be as an artist, to kind of uh, be able to present it in your own colors and your own narrative and be able to play with time. Just like mm -hmm. we were talking about playing with time with your Harlem project, that it was past the present. We get to do that with our own lives. We can be young forever. That's a good one. I and that. when you're 90, you can still see this experience you had with your family and, and relive it. That's, that's really powerful. That's exciting. Um, where, as soon as we can go about the world again, where do you want to go? Mm. Oh, well, I definitely want to go to France. I love that you had you have your little list. You're like, um. man, let me tell you, like, uh, I've been this place, Chateau Orcavo, it's in France. It was a residency, it was on my vision board. And I just thought, there's no effing way that I'm going to get accepted to this program. I don't have enough experience and this and that. And I, and so when like the world got a little bit smaller, I started meeting people who were actually artists in residence there. And they were like, you should apply. And I got accepted. And I've been wanting this place for so long. So there, and then I also got accepted into um, another residency in Greece, um, Athena Standard Residency. 
So that's going to be in Athens. And uh, so those are definitely the two places that are on my list to go. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. So, so if if the world opens up in 2022, I will spend half of the year out of the United States. So I will be in, I definitely know France and I definitely know Greece. And I'm definitely probably going to go back to Portugal, you know. And um, I have like a, a fraternity brother from Texas. He and his wife live in Italy. So while I'm over there, I just want to go see them again and maybe go back to Morocco because I really want to paint a Morocco series. That's amazing. You mentioned fraternity. And mm-hmm. I kind of, before I, before I let you go back into the world, I, just, I think there's something so interesting about that. Because um, you said you had grown up and you had felt a little bit disconnected. And then joining a fraternity, it's a community, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because a lot of times when we're in the world, our community tends to be the people around us, mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily always the best thing for us. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that experience like for you being in a fraternity? Um, it, it was ups and it was downs. You know, you, I was taught like, you know, fraternity your brothers and, you know, y'all support each other and this and that. It wasn't always like that. I had to realize that um, it's like any relationships. It's just like, you know, you're like different people coming from different backgrounds with different experiences and you're bringing all your mess together and you're trying to figure it all out, you know? Um, there were times where they were like really, really supportive. And there was a time where I was just like, I'm done, like, you know, I'm gone. But they were always still like my brothers. But coming back into the fold, you know, I had lived life, I had experience and we were able to like talk, you know. And when I, when I was originally in the, when I was originally in that fraternity, I was one of the younger guys on my like line and so funny, I was having this conversation about mentors. I was always looking to them to, val- to validate me. Mm-hmm. So whenever I had an idea, like I remember when, so I remember when Men in Black came out. And I was like, oh, we should do a party called, you know, Men in Black, Noops in Black, you know, and they were like, oh, that's stupid, you know. But it was like, I didn't realize I was always like the creative director. Like I was always designing our flyers and things of that nature. So whenever I had an idea, I always brought it to them and said, hey, y'all, what do y'all think about this? And they're like, oh, I mean, it's stupid. But now that we're older, we end up having a conversation. They were like, DeMarcus, um, what you don't realize was that you thought so far ahead than the rest of us. So when you would bring stuff to us, we were like, we never heard of anybody doing anything like that. Like, that can't be done. You know, like, we just didn't know. So we would just say, oh, man, that's stupid. And I took it to heart, like, oh, man, these guys, you know, nobody's going to like my ideas. And as I got older, again, the voice, the voice. You know, as I got older, I learned to trust the voice. You know, um, when the universe gives you something, like the universe could give it to anybody, but they gave it to you. You know, everybody's not going to get it. Everybody's not going to understand it. And it's not meant for them to understand it, but it's meant for you to be that vessel, you know, to either do it or to to say it. Like, sometimes, like, the universe puts us in, in positions to, like, to say something, to disrupt or to do something, you know, but it's like you have to listen to it and trust it, you know. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, that, that's fantastic. Thank you, thank you. Um, and yeah, and just to close, before uh, before I let you go, I'm going to ask you that same question in a, in a little bit less intense way. What's, okay. what's inspiring you right now? What, what are you watching? What are you listening to? What, what, what's giving you joy? The art engineer. <laughs> <laughs> And you just became my favorite interview. 
you, Thank man. you so much. Well, Demarcus, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you, and I am excited to see you in France and in Greece in the coming year. Thank you. Thank you. That's it. Thanks for listening. If you've heard something that moved you, please share it. You are the candle that can ignite a thousand flames. I am Luis Martin, the art engineer, sharing with you what moves me. Thank you.